0: Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. International News Review.
1: And joining us on our International News Review, Steve Oaken is with us uh, today. Good morning, Steve. How are you doing?
0: Good morning, GVZ. Doing well in Singapore as we transition into Much different situation now than we were in even a week ago.
1: Indeed, our circuit breaker has been broken. Prime Minister Lee addressing the nation on Friday and uh, really not inciting any fear or tension, but just saying, hey, look, what we've been doing hasn't worked as well as we needed to. Time to step up our game.
0: No, Exactly. I mean, he was a a true leader in this sense, and you're seeing it in in other countries as well. And the the leaders that are making the most impact, they talk honest to their constituents, they talk honest to their people, they give them the data, they are very frank in saying, we have to do this, and, and, and here is why, and people will listen, people will be more than inconvenienced to do the right thing now, so long as they are led that way.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think the, uh, of course, the enhanced measures here in Singapore are uh, still with a great deal of latitude in terms of essential services that that people will be able to uh, to take you know, partake in you know, everything from buying uh, petrol for your car to getting a haircut. And of course, uh, grocery stores and everything will still be open. So it is uh, it is a further strengthening, of course, closing down businesses and, and doing remote working, but still fairly reasonable and not just like, hey, everyone is going to be shuttered in their homes only.
0: You know, again, and I clearly thought this through. And, you know, I, I say they have the three E's in effect Uh, are you essential for work if you are you can go into work but but we're really going to define essential and make it clear do you need essentials like, you know, food? And obviously you can you can go out for that and you can exercise. So it's essential at work, essential uh, for life and exercise. Other than that, you're supposed to stay pretty much in your house and people will follow that because it's being done in a way that also recognizes the hardships and the government's going to step in. So you can't pay rent. Um, For a month, uh, you know, the landlord is going to get the rebate on that property tax. It's going to come back uh, to the business. So you're probably going to end up with a month free rent as a result of being locked down for a month. So the government is is being foresighted, having the trade offs that are necessary to save lives, but to get out of this as quickly as possible, but not doing so in a way that's going to harm society.
1: Yeah, and and that of course is the challenge. Uh, uh, of course, the the one of the biggest efforts that's going to happen starting Wednesday, all of the uh, public school kids will be home doing uh, home learning, uh, which will put some uh, some strain on parents that don't have childcare that are still in those essential services, so they may be gone from the home uh, during the day, and uh, so that that is one challenge that some uh, parents are going to have to face. But boy, we we've got to do something because our domestic cases are still way ahead by, you know, a factor of, of, of 10 or more uh, compared to our imported cases. And that shows that we are not doing a good enough job as a local population here to keep ourselves healthy.
0: Well, and that's what Prime Minister Lee said. He said, we tried to put in place minimal restrictions that for people to follow, to stop community transmission, to be able to track where everything is coming from. And now that the government can't track it anymore, they said, okay, we've got to really ratchet up the restrictions, because, you know, if we don't, what's going to happen, you know, six months from now is going to be a lot worse than, you know, people losing a month out, of, out of, of work and school to a degree, obviously still going to have home learning. But it had to be toughened up. And people recognize that here. People recognize that everywhere when you speak honestly with them about the sacrifices that have to get made. And throughout history, people will sacrifice for the right thing
1: yeah, let's uh, let's go overseas, Steve. Of course, a lot's happening in the US. So thirty thousand cases now. Uh, in, or sorry, 300,000 cases in the U.S., not 30,000, 300,000. Um, New York state had its worst 24-hour period just over between Friday and Saturday, 630 people died. Um, the U.S. government is sending 1,000 military personnel to New York, including military doctors and nurses. Of course, the hospital ship is already there. Uh, but in large part, governors are having to, of, of many states, are having to uh, forge the way for themselves to, to get through this.
0: Well, no, that's the way the U.S. system is designed. It is a federal system where the states have a great deal of power with what happens within those states. And that's what we see right now, and it's going to cause potentially a long-term problem in the U.S. because you have certain governors, Democrats and Republicans, both, who are putting in the necessary restrictions, and they are being Rewarded for that with very high popularity and approval ratings within their own state. So you have, you know, Republican governors like Larry Hogan in Maryland and Mike DeWine in Ohio and Democratic governors like Andrew Cuomo in New York and Gavin Newsom in California who are taking very tough stances, being very um, honest with their people, getting out ahead of the federal government. And while their death tolls and certainly New York are only going to continue to climb, the Their people think they're doing a great job. But you have a mixed message coming out of the federal government. You have other states not doing that, and that's why – I really fear that the U.S. is going to be months and months and months before they get the type of leadership that you see at the national level here in Singapore.
1: Yeah, of course, the U.S. is so massive, you know, over 300 million people and very, you know, I won't even say porous borders, basically no borders at all between states. People come and go as, they, as freely as they'd like to. And that is doing nothing for, um, for containment if people are not staying home home. Uh, and put on top of that, I mean, there are a fair number of conspiracy theories still out there uh, about the fact that this isn't as serious as, as everyone's saying it is, and the media is overhyping it. And so th- there is a lot of um, interesting, you know, in- interesting angles on this that don't necessarily lead to the conclusion that the US is, is doing enough and, and being strong enough to stop this and to keep people at home.
0: Well the US isn't. And you you know, and at writ large, and where you have Dr. Fauci who's, you know, the preeminent expert in the government on on pandemics and infectious diseases, says the entire United States should be under a lockdown now, yet you have multiple states that don't have stay at home, you know, stay um, in place orders, lockdown orders at all. And so unless the United States acts as a national government, you are going to see in the. US the second and third waves like we're seeing the second wave here in Singapore. Look, eventually all 50 states are going to get to lockdown, but the longer it takes, the more these governors hold out, the worse it's going to be. And then you're going to start to see really draconian actions come into place or the, the U.S. is going to have this drag out for way longer than it needs to.
1: Steve, when we look at, for example, China now uh, is in a, the odd position of its factories are going back to work and yet the supply chain is so stopped up. There have been a number of articles about that this past week, that even with them producing again, the goods have nowhere to go and no way to get there uh, and no place to receive, be received on the other side or or fewer, very many fewer places. You know, as we look at some places trying to get back to some level of normalcy, while still other nations are in complete kind of chaos about this. uh, When you look at this from a business perspective, what is the way forward that That commerce can continue under these very trying and and disparate circumstances.
0: Two things. First, it's as you're right. It's very difficult because if you think of the movement of goods, who's going to be on those cargo ships? Because you have all of those uh, seafarers who are, you know. Basically, you know, migrant workers are now back in their countries. And so how are you going to get the staff for that? Airplanes aren't flying. Most cargo does not fly in cargo aircraft. Most cargo flies mm. in the bellies of passenger aircraft. I saw you know, the U.S. Embassy to citizens in Malaysia sent out a notice. There's something like 17 flights in the entire week going from Malaysia to get you to the U.S., either, you know, over Japan or over the the Middle East. And so there's very little. So even though Malaysia has very important manufacturing, how are they going to get their goods out right now? So really, businesses are very concerned about how you get the factories running. But even when you get them running, how do you get the goods out? The other thing that businesses need to be concerned about now is After we get through this, and we, of course, are going to get through this, we're going to be living in a new normal. What type of foreign restrictions are going to be there on workers, on investment, what's going to happen to the supply chain? Because now, you know, the U.S. is going to want some of that pharmaceutical manufacturing back in the U.S. How is it going to get there? So all of this is going to be something businesses are starting to think about now is not only how you get through the pandemic, how are we going to live in the post-COVID-19, because we are never snapping back entirely from a, a, a political, regulatory, legislative perspective.
1: Now, let's uh, let's finish off, Steve, by one of the stories that, that made news, and that was the The story of the U.S. Navy Captain Brett Crozier, who is the captain of the USS Theodore Roosevelt uh, aircraft carrier. And he was relieved of his command on Thursday after sending a letter to his superiors, urging decisive action to halt the COVID-19 outbreak on his ship. Some 100 sailors uh, were were affected by that and came down with it. Now the letter was leaked to the media. He sent it to over 30 people under you know on, on uh, lockdown um, uh, communication channels, and then he was uh, summarily uh, <laughs> summarily uh, uh, taken down from his. Uh, his uh, position. This is now causing a huge, uh, huge uh, wave of of consternation among people. A petition, over 200,000 people have signed a petition calling on the U.S. Navy to reinstate him uh, into his former position. Interesting story.
0: Look, again, and this is a clash of, of leadership where, you know, Captain Crozier, who is you know, in charge of the lives of, you know, more than a thousand people. And, you know, Glenn, you and I have been so lucky to have been invited to aircraft carriers when they come to Singapore. And you see that these are, you know, floating cities, um, you know, with hospitals and the, let alone with what they need to do in terms of protecting, you know, our country and protecting the oceans. Uh, and and to, he feels he is like the, he is in charge of those sailors. He's in charge of their well-being. And he writes in that letter if we do not act now we are failing to properly take care of our most trusted asset our sailors and he said sailors do not need to die and the you know the upper brass did not want to hear that message at that time and it is causing a huge impact well beyond what's going to happen to him because you have a clash of leadership styles where crozier is talking about what needs to be done now to take decisive action and yet the upper brass and including the president have defended uh, his removal from from leading, you know, leading the Roosevelt. So this is going to have huge political implications, I think. Now,
1: you and I were lucky enough exactly two years ago last night to uh, be on a reception in the Theodore Roosevelt when it was uh, here in uh, Singapore on shore leave and of course every time you're uh, anyone's able to go on those aircraft carriers you realize as you mentioned it's a floating city i think there's something some like 4800 sailors and marines on the theodore roosevelt uh, but the other thing that strikes you with the exception of the flight deck where the jets take off and land everything else is so close so close you know that the quarters are so tight that if there were to be an outbreak of anything on a ship like that you know it would you can see where it would spread very quickly Uh, and and as you rightly point out every captain their first and and most important uh, job is to take care of their crew people and then secondly of course is to accomplish the mission that they are that they are tasked to do so uh, a very interesting case um You know, the the uh, the head of the U.S. Navy um, was saying that it wasn't so much the fact that he sent the letter, but it was the way he sent it and not going up the the chain of command. And that uh, uh, was something that gave them less confidence in his ability to lead. But interestingly, tell us about the scene when he left the ship, because his crew members, I think, said spoke more loudly than any of us could ever speak about him.
0: Well, there's that amazing video where he's walking out the last time, and you know, you're on, He's not. He's below deck, and you have all of the sailors lined up, and it's total silence. You know, as he works his way through the, you know, the massive uh, area of of where the the planes are are kept below the deck, and you know, and, and then all of a sudden, when he's out, the entire crew erupts, you know, chanting "Captain Crozier" over and over again, mm, and applauding. And Yeah, Yeah, applauding and hooting and and doing what, 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 you know, sailors do. Uh, And it was a, it's a, it's a moving sight. And, you know, that, that little 15 seconds of, of video of them cheering their, uh, you know, departed and fired captain is going to resonate. And I think you're going to see that, uh, in, in, in the history books is a a distinction of somebody who's really trying to lead in this point and people who didn't want to hear bad news, um, then all of a sudden, second guessing him, and that's why you know the, the leaders who are stepping up, and it could be Prime Minister Lee here, it could be governors like DeWine in Ohio and Hogan in Maryland and Cuomo and in Newsom or, or Captain Crozier are going to be the ones who are going to show that they tried to do the right thing and, and get us through this.
1: It's interesting to note too that he has not been he has not been kicked out of the Navy, but he will be quote unquote reassigned uh, to a new uh, position, uh, and we we don't know what that is yet. So he has he has not been. Uh, f- you know, he's just been relieved of his command, let's put it that way, of the Roosevelt. Yeah,
0: it's, t- it's tough to use, you know, uh, military terms in the civilian context. And, you know, when he said he was fired, in a way, he was fired from being captain of the Roosevelt, but he wasn't fired from the Navy. Correct. So that's exactly right.
1: All right. Our thanks to Steve Oaken, our senior advisor for McClarty Associates uh, International News Review. Steve, as always, a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks so much